There's an old proverb that goes something like this. If you want to know what water is, don't ask a fish. Now the fish's problem is that he is totally immersed in water. Water is the fish's whole world. It's the only thing he knows. In fact, it's so all-consuming for the fish that he isn't even conscious of it. I know this because I've had some conversations with fish. (laughs) They don't even know that they're in the water. They don't understand because it's their whole world. They don't understand that is until you take them out of the water. Then they realize that they're missing something. See, I believe the same might be true of us. As humans, even those of us who are Christ followers, we are, we are immersed in this world and its systems. So much so that, that we don't even understand that we're in it. We don't even understand that we're a part of it. The world systems whereby we take our our abilities and our skills and our talents and our resources and we build a life for ourselves. We chart our own course. We make our own decisions. We decide how we want to live our lives. We decide what it is that would make us happy. And we do it. Right? Aren't we uniquely involved in that process here in the United States of America? Isn't that what our country was founded on? No? Wow, we really need to step up those history courses. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That's the system, and we're in it. We're a part of it. We're like the fish. We don't even really realize it. Now, for those of us who are Christ followers, we do make attempts to Christianize it. We make attempts to sprinkle some God in there. But often we find ourselves doing the same thing that everyone else is. We're building our kingdom the way that we want to build it. We're building our lives the way that we want to build them. Now think about what we've seen in the book of Genesis so far. Even at this early stage, even just just ten chapters in to this point, what have we seen? We've seen that, that God created this world. He made it perfectly. It wasn't just good, remember, it was very good. He provided everything that we've needed in it. And then man chooses his own way and rejects God. And so God judges the world. He he brings this, this curse down upon Adam and Eve and said, this world will no longer be perfect. This garden will no longer be perfect. You're going to have to work for your food. You're going to have to sweat. And you're going to have to fight the thorns and the thistles. And ladies, there's going to be pain in childbirth. And there's going to be death. Well, this continued for some many hundreds of years, right? And we talked about it last week until we got to the point in Genesis chapter 6 
we read that every thought of man's heart was only evil continually. And so God judges the world again. And he wipes out, almost completely wipes out his creation. But offers restoration to those who repent. So now man is set up again to follow God's design. Now the world isn't perfect anymore, but the covenant is reestablished. We're going to see something interesting here as we move into Genesis chapter 11 this morning. This is what I want you to see. The heart of man is to build his own kingdom. The heart of man is to build his own kingdom. And we do so in defiance of God. You see, because of the corruption of sin, we all desire to be God. We all desire to make all of our own decisions, to to chart our own course. And you may be sitting here this morning, you may say, hey, Mike, just, you know, easy with that a little bit. I mean, I hear where you're coming from, and and yeah, there's a lot of people out there that they want to be their own God, and they want to defy God. I mean, we see it in our world today all the time, people just shutting God out, but I, I, I don't want to be God. I don't want to defy God. And yet, we demonstrate that we do every time we disobey. Here's the thing. The scripture tells us that we have this wonderful God. This generous creator who is loving and gracious and kind. Who cares for us so much that he supplies all of our needs. He promises that what we have we, or what we need, we will have. And he only asks that we trust him and obey what he says. But what do we do? We do our own thing. We decide for ourselves what we would like to do. We decide for ourselves how we would like to live our lives in defiance of God. Now, I want us to see this morning what happens in the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, if you have your Bibles with you, this is another story from the book of Genesis that many of you are probably familiar with, at least somewhat. How many people have at least heard of the Tower of Babel? Okay, everybody's heard of it. How many people kind of know what happened in the Tower of Babel? I always forget to look up at number two. Number two and number three, I can see you guys, so okay. Most of us kind of think we know what happened in the Tower of Babel. So, but let's look at it and see what God is trying to tell us some thousands of years later. So, first of all, we've had the flood. That's what we talked about last week. And we have this great reset, this new start after the total corruption of the earth, almost complete devastation of human and animal. We have eight human beings left and two of each kind of animal so that they can reproduce. And so God ordains this new start and this new covenant. And in chapter 6, he promises Noah, after the flood, excuse me, after the flood, I'm going to establish my covenant with you and your sons. And we're going to keep going, Noah. I'm going to clean all of this evil out of here, and we're going to go forward. 
And if we look at chapter 8 of Genesis, in verse 20, we read that after over a year on the ark, Noah and his family are finally able to, I don't know, what do you call that? De-ark? De-ark, they get out of the ark. The water is receded. Everything is starting to grow and to bloom again. And the first thing that, that Noah does is he builds an altar to the Lord and he worships God. And he glorifies God and says, thank you. Thank you for our deliverance and thank you for this restoration. And in chapter 9 and verse 1 we read this, that God blessed Noah and his sons and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So the implication of this statement to this command to Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, those were Noah's three sons and their wives, was to spread out over the whole earth. You see, God's desire was that the whole earth would be filled with people. That it would be filled with people who would worship him and with whom he could fellowship and that he could care for. This was his purpose and plan for mankind. If we skip ahead to chapter 10, we're kind of setting the stage here for the story of Babel. We skip ahead to chapter 10, and we have the, Noah, the genealogy of Noah. So Noah has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And if we read that chapter, we find out that Ham had a son, and his name was Cush. And Cush had a son, and his name was Nimrod. Now, <laughs> I knew somebody would... So when I, maybe it still is, I don't know, I'm old now, but when I was a teenager in the 80s, Nimrod was, you know, an insult. <laughs> it was an insult to call somebody Nimrod. But if we look at chapter 10 of Genesis, we find out that Nimrod was an incredibly important guy. It said he began to be a mighty man. He began to grow this reputation to be an important man. He apparently had a lot of skills and abilities, and he started to gather a following. Now, if we keep reading there in chapter 10 and verse 9, we find out also that not only was he a powerful man and a man of reputation, but it says here that he was a mighty hunter. He was a legendary hunter. And so he began to be famous in this part of the world. He had these skills and abilities, and those things gained him influence. But if we keep reading there in chapter 10, we see what happened next, and that's this. Nimrod used his influence to build a kingdom. Now, the chief city of that kingdom was called Babel. But we know that he didn't stop there, and we know that he was a very gifted leader, because if we read there, it says that he built five or six more cities. So we're seeing that Nimrod's influence is growing. His reputation, his power is growing here. Now I want to just pause here for a second and talk about this, that the fact that Nimrod had these abilities was not wrong. Who gave Nimrod the abilities and the skills that he had? Not a trick question. Who gave them, him those abilities? God gave him those abilities. God made Nimrod the guy that he was, the personality and the abilities and the skills to be a mighty hunter, to be a great leader. So it wasn't wrong that he had those abilities in the first place. 
God gives us all abilities and gifts, and he wants us to use them. And some are great leaders, and some are gifted businessmen, and some are very successful, and some of you folks are. Some of you have started businesses and grown them and you've become successful in your line of work and you are leaders and and God calls us to be that and to use what he has given us. But the problem comes when we use our gifts and abilities and skills and resources according to our own desires and to build our own kingdoms instead of following God's plans. And I want you to see that that's what happened. So Genesis 11, verse 1, says this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. So in these first two verses, in verse 1, we see something very interesting Everybody in the world at that point was only speaking one language. That's interesting. We'll take note of that and file it away for later. And if you know the story of Babel, then you know that's going to become important in just a little bit. But it's verse number two that's the issue. It says, as they migrated, they found a place and they settled there. Now, this is a test if you've been paying attention. Why is it a problem that they settled in Shinar. Correct. Because God told them to spread out and fill the earth. I'm just going to give you credit for that one. Bonus points at the end. God said spread out. Multiply. Fill the earth. And they settled. Now, you might look at that and say, well, you know, I mean, you're reading into it a little bit. I mean, it's one word. I mean, you know, what? But the fact that it's purposeful becomes very obvious to us as we keep reading. So look at verse 3 of chapter 11. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So picture it, if you will. Nimrod and all of his family and all of his following, all of these people that he's gathered because of his influence, because of his skill, because of his ability, they're traveling, they're migrating from the east. They're traveling, and they come to this plain. And Nimrod gives the command from the front of the line. We'll stop here. We'll make camp. And so they set up their tents and they camp for the night. And the next morning, they're all tired from their journey, so they say, let's stay another night. This is a nice spot. Nimrod is what? He's a mighty hunter. Maybe there are herds of animals there to hunt. And to provide for his people. There's nothing wrong with providing for your people. You should provide for your family. Nimrod says, hey, let's do a little hunting while we're here. Let's get some rest. Let's get some provisions. So they do that. They start looking around. Shinar is a pretty nice place. Hey, there's everything that we need here. 
there's food, there's water, there's grazing for our animals, there's space for us to, to set up our stuff and set up our tents. And then if you can picture one night, Nimrod and some of his guys sitting around the campfire, and somebody says, hey, you know what? We should build a city here. This is a nice place. We should build a city and maybe even put walls around it so that we can protect ourselves. Because there's other people out there that would like to do us harm. And maybe instead of spreading out, maybe it would be better if we all kind of stayed together and looked after each other. They mulled that over for a little while. And somebody said, I got an idea. What if we build a tower? We can build a really tall tower all the way up as far as the eye can see. And then we'll really be able to make sure that nobody is coming to attack us. And think of how impressive it'll be when people come up to us and see what we've done and see what we've accomplished. I don't know if this happened for sure, but I can guess that some smart guy, probably one of the number crunchers, maybe like Curtis, he said he's a pencil pusher. He works at a bank. Probably somebody like Curtis stood up and said, hey, you know what? We could even charge a couple of shekels for people to go up and stand in the observation deck and look around. And you know what they'll say when they look around? No, I know they said this. I know Curtis wasn't there, so he didn't have anything to do with that, but... They'll say, when they see it, they'll think, man, these guys are amazing. They have so much skill. They have so much ability. The marvel of the technology. This is amazing. That was their mindset. Let us make a name for ourselves so that we're not dispersed. That's in direct contradiction to God's command. They decided to go their own way, to make their own rules, rather than worship God. They wanted to be known. Verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do now will be impossible to them. Now, of course, we know that God is everywhere present, but this is just a way of saying that he took note of what was going on. God saw what was happening here. And he knew their hearts, and he knew their intentions. And once again, we see God's patience because he doesn't immediately quash the notion. He gives them an opportunity to change their minds, but they don't do that. They begin to build. They made their plans clear that they would not obey and glorify God. And as God takes note of what is happening, he makes a statement here, and it's recorded for us to hear, and it is this. They all have one language. It's hard for us to imagine that, isn't it? What that would be like. Can you imagine how convenient that would be for us all to speak the same language? 
I mean, think about Dave going over to Turkey there a couple of weeks ago. Think about Holly there right now. How much easier would it be to be able to go to a place like Turkey or a place like Brazil or Nepal and speak the same language and to be able to share the gospel with people? That would be so wonderful, but that's what it was like at this time. Everybody spoke the same language and God says, nothing will be impossible to them. That is, like in Noah's day, they will continue on this path which will only lead to greater and greater sin. You need to understand something, folks. When Nimrod starts building this city and starts building this tower, we are probably only about 100 years removed from the flood. In 100 years, already they're forgetting God. Already they're saying, let's go our own way. Let's do our own thing. Look at verse 7. Come, God says. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Now this is an interesting method. God doesn't, doesn't go down and destroy the city or the tower. Instead, he does something that has repercussions that are felt even today. Civilizations and cultures have developed independently ever since. This one day when God confused their languages. Look at verse 9. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And here's what I want you to notice from this verse. Notice the result of God intervening here. What was the result? They were dispersed over the whole earth. What was God's original purpose and intent for Noah and his sons? Do you remember? Be dispersed over the whole earth. Man's intentions and efforts did not prevent God's purpose from being accomplished. God still did what he wanted to do. It says there, the name is called Babel. Literally, the word Babel Sounds like the Hebrew word for confusion. You can imagine when everybody got up that morning and headed to the job site. And Nimrod started barking out orders. This is what we're going to do today, guys. And his foreman stood there and looked at him. What are you talking about? In their minds, they were simply speaking. But to those who are listening, they were all speaking different languages. Can you imagine, Curtis, when that building shows up? I, I'm with you. I think it is a mule train coming across from Colorado. I don't know why it's going to take a month to get here. But can you imagine if we all went? I was speaking English. You were speaking German. Ben was speaking French. 
Somebody else was speaking Spanish. Somebody else was speaking Turkish, Kurdish, Chinese, Japanese. It'd be hard to get much done, wouldn't it? That's what happened. Confusion. They never knew what happened. They never understood. And it probably never crossed their minds that it was God who did it because God was not in their minds. Well, I know most of you are thinking, that's a great story, Mike, so what? (laughs) Well, let's think about this. God has given us a plan. And the plan is to result in the building of his kingdom. We're to love him. We're to love others. We're to go and preach the gospel to all, in all places, in all nations. And we have been given, in the scripture, a series of commands to which we are to be obedient. That's what we have here in front of us. That's why we come here together and study and learn and teach from God's Word. When we are obedient to these commands, it will result in God's purpose being accomplished. But think about just how gracious God is. God is not standing there saying, Do my will, accomplish my purpose, build my kingdom, you slaves. No, he says this. If you will be obedient to me, if you will obey my commands, if you will do what I have asked you to do, it will result in the building of my kingdom, but also it will result in your needs being met. Spiritually, Emotionally, relationally, physically. That's God's promise to us. If we will follow His plan, if we will build His kingdom. Jesus Himself said this. When He began His public ministry, we read about it in Matthew, what we commonly call the Sermon on the Mount. And God begins to, or Christ begins to tell His disciples how he would like them to live, how he would have them to serve and to follow him. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, he says, If you seek my kingdom first, everything else will be added to you. Everything else will be provided. Everything will be taken care of. But what happens? What happens is your heart longs to build a different kind of kingdom. And we begin to have this inner monologue. And our inner monologue sounds something like this. Sometimes we might say to ourselves, I know God needs to come first. But if I work harder, and I work more, and I make more money, then I'll feel more comfortable and I'll feel more secure. Or it sounds like this. I know God needs to come first in my life before even my family, but we need to spend time together so we go away on the weekend and do things together instead of go to church. Or it sounds like this. 
I know God says I need to keep my heart and my mind pure. But I really enjoy watching those shows. I really enjoy watching those movies that have all those things in it that are impure. It's entertaining to me. It's fun. Or it sounds like this. I know God tells us very clearly in the scripture that we are not to have sex outside of a committed marriage relationship, but I'm lonely and he loves me. That's what it begins to sound like. And like Babel, we defy God. Now it might be quiet, it might be silent, it might just be in our hearts and our minds. But we defy God. And you build your kingdom. It might be a kingdom of security or a kingdom of family or a kingdom of pleasure or a kingdom of companionship. But it's a kingdom of self. And what we find, and maybe you have found this already at some point, what we find is we realize that it's not going to work. Because our pride and our opposition to God's commands always leads to our destruction. I mean, we're 11 chapters into Genesis, and this is the third time that it's happened. Can I ask you this? What kingdom are you trying to build? You're building something. You're a fish. You're in it. You're in the system. You're trying to build something. What is it? Is it a kingdom of self? Are you trying to make yourself feel better by Christianizing this model? Hey, I come to church a couple of three times a month. I put a few bucks in the gray box outside in the hallway. We sprinkle a little God into it to try and sanctify it. That doesn't work. We need to humble ourselves before God. You know what John says in 1 John 2? He says, I am writing these things, little children. He speaks to them tenderly. I'm writing these things, little children, that you would not sin. You know what would be best? It would be best if we didn't sin. It would be best if we didn't go against the commands of God, that we didn't try to build our own kingdoms, that we would build God's kingdom that we would follow his commands, that would be best. I'm writing this, little children, so that you would not sin, but if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation, the sacrifice, the payment that satisfies God's justice, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. God desires nothing more than to cleanse you, to restore you, to work in you, and to use you for his purpose. You see, God doesn't just give judgment. He gives a path to restoration. He loves you with a perfect love, and he alone is worthy of our praise and adoration. I want to encourage you this morning to join us 
as we offer ourselves to our all-powerful God today and ask him to be at work in us as we build his kingdom. So what was the end of the story? God's will was accomplished. Mankind was dispersed. And they multiplied and they filled the earth. Friends, make no mistake, God will accomplish his purpose. He will build his kingdom. He will judge sin. But he always graciously invites us back. He's inviting you back. He's inviting you to be a part of what he is doing. You know, in all the confusion of the languages, you know, the only thing that transcends language and civilization in the world is the gospel. The gospel is the hope for mankind. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of what you are doing, for graciously loving us, for mercifully cleansing us, washing us, and inviting us back to the table. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gospel that transcends language and civilization. I pray that we will all carefully examine our hearts today, that we would not be about the building of our own kingdoms, but that we would use our skills, our abilities, our talents, our resources to build your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for the gracious promise that when we do that, you meet our other needs. I pray that you will go with us now, give us your strength, provide for us opportunities as your servants to care for those around us and to share the truth of the gospel. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for coming, folks. I hope you have a great week.